This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Drop this podcast before the start of the season on Besotted Global. Besotted Global is a new little social network that we've set up for Brentford fans who want to discuss Brentford, who want to hear more content from Besotted. And like I said to you, what we have is that we have our usual content still going out. Our podcast, our pre-match podcast still goes out as per usual. But every time we get a few extra bits and pieces that we can't slot in during the week, we put it through Global. And like I said, there's a nice little social media community that talks about Brentford there. If you want to check it out, just go to besotted.com forward slash global and you can try it out and see if you like it. Thanks very much. So welcome to Besotted Global. And this is our first little chat. I'll tell you something with the cognoscenti, as we say. (laughs) In the Premier League, and it's, it's uh, tell you something, it, feel, it feels really good to actually say this as well in the Premier League because it's our second season in the Premier League. This is Brentford again, our season is about to start. And I remember us coming into the season last season, I have to admit, I had no idea what the hell was going on. We were playing Arsenal beforehand. I remember us sitting down there, sitting with Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV and Turkish from Arsenal Fan TV in the club stadium. They were getting interviewed by the club. Turkish was interviewing me. I was chatting to him. And we had this game coming up and I was thinking, Christ almighty, I've got no idea what's going on. But everybody knows what happened then. It was a marvellous evening. It was a marvellous win. And it was a marvellous start to the season. It was a marvellous season for Brentford. But we are now in our second season. And as they say, second season syndrome hits. But I thought I'm going to speak and chat to Neil from the Anfield Rapper, very good friend of ours, very good friend of mine, very good friend of Besotted. We talk a lot during the season and we're going to talk about football, about Liverpool, about Brentford, about the upcoming season, the last season. Neil, how are you? Very well indeed. Looking forward to doing this. Yeah. Tell you something, how's your summer been, mate? Because, you know, for me, I completely, literally, when the last, when we failed to relegate Leeds, right, which I'm going to tell you this for a fact, it was probably the, the, the biggest low point of most Brentford fans <laughs> of the season, because we thought that was in the bag. But, you know, when we failed to relegate them, literally, I switched off for the season and I literally didn't turn back on six, seven weeks, no podcast, no nothing, everything like that. How's your summer been? Well, the Anfield rap, we, we do go all year round, not quite as much, obviously, when the games aren't around. But we, you know, we do sort of rock and roll and 
as you know, we'll possibly come on to discuss events in Paris. Obviously, have led me to have to do more summer media than I expected. I'd have to do. It's fair to say. Uh, but you know, got to Glastonbury, enjoyed that massively, uh, and then from there went away on Liverpool's pre-season tour with uh, to Bangkok and Singapore, and did bits and pieces of work out there. And that was that was really really good and cool and a, a great opportunity as well. So absolutely cannot complain. I just wish it was a bit longer. We're recording this just before the Charity Shield, and I just quite like them to have given me another week. To be honest with you, uh, one more week would have been would have been lovely at this point. But we are now sort of counting down until the first game of the season. Eight days until we kick off against Fulham, and one day until we play Manchester City. And I don't feel entirely ready to play Manchester City. Oh, oh and, and you and you mentioned as well. Talk about your away days as well, Bangkok. What a great what a great place. Bangkok is as well. I mean, you know, I'm away at the moment now. So I'm sitting here by the pool in Spain. But, you know, I speak to my wife. I said, I can't wait to take the kids to Bangkok because I think that Thailand is a fantastic place. You must have had a great time. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a real whirling dervish. It was land and work. So it was Bangkok and then Singapore. So we got to see a bit more of Singapore. Uh, Bangkok was was just, I mean, we got to see a lot of Bangkok, but we were just going and doing bits of work. We were doing videos and all the stuff that we do. So we were running around Bangkok a little bit, but... It was chaos, and it was. It suits Bangkok running around. It suits it being like that because it's such a, it's such an intense uh, sort of mad place. I loved it to pieces, and I, well, I came back, and one of the first thing I said to Samantha was, we, "We've got to, we've got to get there. Uh, we'll, let's sort out spending a few days in Bangkok because I can't wait to go back and see it properly and see it in a more structured way, and not just sort of you've got to go and do this video with the foundation, you've got to go and do this interview uh, way, more in a no, come on, let's go and have a proper take it all in." Because I'd love to take it all in. Properly. Yeah, yeah, and I've got, I'm still dwelling on this Bangkok thing because obviously with Brentford, first of all, we're doing pre-season friendlies against like you know Boreham Wood, you know, and then eventually we might sort of kind of flip into something else, and then we moved into Germany, you know, and we even played a few German teams this time. But you know, Bangkok is another world to us. But I've seen these like Thai fans are absolutely potty for it, aren't they? I mean, they're, yep. they're, they're absolutely they absolutely love the Premier League and they know their stuff and they come out in their droves, don't they? Yeah, the, the 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 I couldn't believe the size of the crowd for open training, let alone the game. They overpriced the game. It's uh, it's it's it was quite contentious over there. The tickets for the game, which weren't I hasten to add, selected by Liverpool or Man United. For once, we can say that it's not down to them. Uh, the tickets for the game were really really highly priced, but the open training wasn't. So there was loads and loads of supporters at the open training, uh, and they were just fully committed to it, loving every single minute of it. So no, they are the the first, firstly obviously very knowledgeable, but secondly just. Just really committed and and enjoy the process, you know, because they just basically watched the training session and oohed and ahed all the way through, and everyone was paying complete attention to what they were getting sort of on the pitch. Although it was quite an intense training session, uh, and it was interesting to see. To be honest with you, lucky enough to get to see it, but yeah, they are very very into it. Yeah, all right. Well, we are looking forward to our Bangkok Thailand tour in a few years' time. If we, we can played actually... Crystal Palace in, in Singapore, there's no reason we couldn't have played Brentford. It was Singapore. It was Crystal Palace in Singapore. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna get Phil Giles and I'm gonna get the, the the crew behind the scenes to actually work this out because we've done Germany too many times now. We've got to bin Germany, mate. We've got to get over to Singapore and we can go to Thailand. That's what we need to do. But anyway, listen. Coming back to last season, mate. Now you've had time to chill. You've had time to reflect on your last season. Are you happy? Are you sad? And give me some marks out of 10. Um, marks out of 10 is nine and a half, uh, to be honest. And, you know, it just sort of has to be. They got over 90 points. They got to a Champions League final and they won the other two trophies. Um, they took everything to the last kick. The only way it could be better would be if they'd have added one of the big two. Wasn't to be, with reference to City on the last day. You know, Villa do what we need Villa to do for 70 minutes, but they don't quite pull it round for us, um, which is a bit obviously a shame from our point of view. But... 
you know the final is the final and the vi- the final somewhat marked and marred by by what went on around it which still remains you know a bit frustrating and it's I'm not prepared to get into the realms of whether or not it did or didn't have an impact on the final whistle. I don't think it's great for footballers going on the pitch knowing that there's there's issues with family members. But I simultaneously think that Real Madrid did what Real Madrid showed they could do all the way through the tournament, which was frustrate a team, keep it tight in slight patches, although we do have a lot of good chances, uh, and then nick one and see a game out. Seeing a game out is what they did especially well all the way through the tournament, and they deserve massive credit for that, and they're worthy winners, and the goalkeeper was man of the match. Which is the other thing I would sort of point out. You know, if you play a game of football and the goalkeeper's man of the match, then you didn't play that badly, but you can still come away feeling a bit hard done to. But I can't be bothered feeling hard done to. You know, you get beat, and I'm quite relaxed about the idea of getting beat. Um, we should have got beat more often last season. You know, it's unbelievable how rarely we got beat over the course of the campaign. So ultimately, it's you know, it's it's an excellent season, uh, and it was the season back we all wanted. Twelve months ago, we were building up now towards the Norwich game, the first game of the season, and. We were, I remember thinking at the around the time of the Norwich game, there's not going to be full stadia all the way through this season because of everything that was everything else that was going on. And in the end, we get the full journey. We get full stadia all the way through and we get every single game from a Liverpool point of view and get to watch a great side. You know, this is one of the greatest ever, if not the greatest ever Liverpool teams. So it's nine and a half out of ten as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, if they, if they pull the same off again this season, absolutely brilliant and it's just that it would be lovely if they could just pick up one of the big two trophies that we're lucky enough to get to compete for in terms of the league and the, and the, the league and the champions league but even saying that sentence you know there's there's supporters up and down the country who've never been to Wembley the supporters up and down the country who've never seen a team lift one of the four major competitions that you can lift and you know lucky enough to do that beyond lucky enough to do that to get two of them in one season just shows you know how fortunate we are to support this team at this time with this manager and these players. I'm just going to quickly just hark back to that Champions League as well because you briefly talked about it. You didn't really want to mention it too much, but I have to bring that back because again, as Brentford yeah, fans yeah. and as football fans, you know we've seen it on the news. But you were there, and I mean, I was communicating yeah. with you when you were out in Paris, and basically there's a lot of really very very dark scenes around that Champions League. But not only that. And I'm going to say this as well, because I, I had a conversation with you as well. And I've said this, right? I've been to three now tournaments, I think it is, in France. I went to World Cup 98. I went to the Euros in 2016. And I also went to the World Cup in 2019. And I've always said that I, would, I, I wish France never got another tournament again. Because I don't think that the French, A, they don't really like football. They have a core that do like it, but they don't do. But also, in general, the police... And the authorities do not treat fans in the way that they should do as well. And also, like, you know, the, the general public, like I said to you, when you go there, you cannot feel the vibe about football there because the French actually, in general, don't feel football as if you went to Sweden, if you went to Bangkok, anywhere else, you'll feel that vibe. You don't feel it there. So just tell me just briefly, I mean, it wasn't great, was it? No, what I would say is that the build-up, the, literally, we were there from Thursday and... Paris was great, and part of the problem with all of this, but also one of the things that's come, one of the reasons why we've got to where we've got to on the process is because the people of France, the French authorities, some of the French authorities, I hasten to add, not all of them, have responded. Um, You know, this has not been Liverpool supporters versus Parisians or the French at any point because they're aware of the issues that they've got around policing, and in the end, we've become part of that wider conversation, which is why there's been a Senate hearing, which is emphatically cleared all supporters, not just Liverpool supporters, Madrid supporters as well, of any 
responsibility for what went on at the time, which was clear, I'd like to think, and was clear pretty quickly on the night uh, with all the social media stuff that was getting reported as it came out. But simultaneously, it's good to have that sort of official version of events. The, I was lucky enough pre-match, but post-match was, you know, and I've been to a lot of football matches, and it was the most scared I've ever been in the immediate aftermath of a game, uh, most intimidated by the police, by some of the gangs that were roaming the footprints of the stadium, by the fact that you couldn't get off the footprints of the stadium. Um, it was it was genuinely dreadfully put on. And it, you know, coming into the grounds, as I say, I was lucky I got in a little bit earlier and, and got in just ahead of the gate that I was meant to be getting into, got closed, and then people who got into the same gate as me were coming in over an hour later and had been tear-gassed. Like, literally, the people who were around me in the stadium had been tear-gassed for, 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 for no reason. Um, and... I do agree with the idea that I think I don't think it is just the French or Haitian to add. I think the 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 policing in general, even policing in our own country, but policing in general and organisation around football and football supporters, I think is is still it still doesn't take much for it to be dark ages stuff, and it doesn't take much for it to be phrased and framed as the idea that the supporters are the problem, and that the supporters need to be policed. And you know, it's not about money. Don't get me wrong, but the there's a lot of language used around football supporters and one of the things that I sort of keep coming back to is we I think at times some football supporters are a little prickly about being described as customers we want to think we're more than just customers but there are times where I'm just like no just treat me as a customer please roll out the red carpet my ticket cost 150 euros you know roll out the red carpet treat me as someone who's paid 150 euros to go to a sporting event please make it as you know look after me before during and after and the very idea we were there we were there two and a half hours before but the very idea that you know no one's asking you to go to the theater and get there two and a half hours before it starts you'd be laughed out of town if you tried anything like that even gigs and stuff like that even large-scale gigs and events you know that's that's not the attitude that's sort of put about so treat us like customers a little bit more please and it's emphatic to say UEFA, the French authorities, um, the French sporting authorities, the French authorities in terms of the police, the interior minister for France, what he's on record as, today, as saying, did not see the football supporters as the customers. They saw the football supporters as the potential threat. And my word, there was a lot of potential threats going around and none of them supported Liverpool or Real Madrid. Mm, yeah, uh, no. And it, it was not nice at all. And it, it wasn't nice for the Madrid supporters either. I went round their end after the match because I thought we'd be safer there. Genuinely was the logic. Let's go there then. Which, by the way, is meant to be, you know, contrary to all football supporter logic ever. And the speed with which I was like, let's get down the Real Madrid end because it'll be much easier around there. And it wasn't. So, you know, this was this is policing policing people as though they're the problem in the first place is is the problem. I think almost the definitive problem around football. And it's got to stop. And it's got to stop everywhere. It's got to stop in our grounds when it does occasionally happen in our grounds. But it's got to stop abroad as well. It's just got to stop. Yeah, no, I hear that. So let's, let's bring it back to this season now. Like, by the time people listen to this, the community shield will be over. Mm. And I think you would be hoping that you'd had your first trophy of the season. <laughs> it's not a real one. Not even I'm going to count it as a real one. Yeah, but it'd listen. be nice to get one over on City. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But listen, it means the season, the new season is near. I'm going to ask you, how are you feeling about the new season for Liverpool? Really good. It's... In lots of ways, it's a funny time because I don't feel there's a lot of jeopardy around supporting Liverpool. Like, I genuinely think we are one of the best two football teams in the world. And it might be that over the course of the season, I'm proven wrong in that. And that if that happens, that happens. But, you know, I struggle to see a world... We, You know, two seasons ago under COVID, almost everything that could go wrong went wrong. And we still ended up finishing third. Um, and, you know, this isn't to be complacent... 
I'm not and to recommend that the football team is complacent, but that's part of the thing. The thing is that I know, you know, these are brilliant footballers, but they're not letting anyone work harder than them either. Uh, you know, he's a brilliant manager, but he's trying to remain at the forefront of the game and the forefront of all bits of sports science. The, there's there's money to invest and we've got an enormous wage bill but we we absolutely get massive value for money out of that wage bill you know uh, we've been really really strong on the transfer markets we tend not to get that many wrong but that doesn't mean that they're not still doing due diligence to the extreme over every last sign and there's no complacency around around them and there shouldn't be around our support either but the flip side is you know I think a bad well a bad season for us two seasons ago we finished third and retained our Champions League status and that allowed us to build last season where we won two trophies nearly won the league and and, and got to the Champions League final so you know ultimately I'm going into it thinking we're going to have another fantastic ride the this is a great it's a, it's a really good side it's a really good manager you know there's a couple of moving parts this year that that hasn't been for a while Mane moving on is an aspect of it that moved on Minamino and Origi, so maybe there's a little bit less experience up top. Um, you know, younger lads have come in, Darwin uh, and and Carvalho are younger than the, the the players that have that have moved on out up there. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, we'll be in. You know, we'll be in for in for everything until April, and for me, a good season is a season where you've still got things to play for in April. A great season is a season where you've still got things to play for in May. And a terrific season's one where there's silverware along the way, and and I'm expecting, I'm expecting silverware, and I think they're gonna they're gonna be you know equal to Manchester City in terms of being the team to beat, where the Premier League's concerned, and the manager's European record is is second to none. So it's interesting because you talked about your signings there as well, and you sort of kind of just it's almost like you breezed past them, right? You know what I'm saying now for us as Brentford fans, anytime you sign anyone or anyone leaves you, it's like a big fanfare scenario, and especially now in the Premier League, because all of a sudden, like we're signing players, like we just got Aaron Hickey for 16 million euros. I'm not being funny, but like Brian and Boomer was our highest um, a player that we played for what's it four weeks, three seasons or three or four seasons ago for six million euros. And before that was Sergi Canos for two point five million pounds. Like you know what I'm saying? And before that it was somebody for like a million pounds. So we've kind of gone from a million pounds to sixteen million very quickly. And also we got you know um, what's it? Uh, you know we've got uh, Lewis Potter as well, Keen Lewis Potter as well, who signed for about sixteen million as well. So it's got on that era but it's almost like you've just gone you know Cavalier for Fulham you know what I'm saying no he's, he's a, he's no, a... <laughs> no no I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want that to come over either that's, but it's more the, it's more the idea of like what's there has already demonstrated itself to be enough you know the, I mean the biggest signing of our year is the manager signs on until 2026 the next biggest signing is that Salah commits until around the same time a year earlier they're the big ones for us and then you know, I'd, I'm not in the, the the lad. We've you couldn't have been our record transfer fee and our record. You know, if we pay all the add-ons, he goes to eighty million quid. But if we pay all the add-ons, it's because he's been really, really good. And the I've got I haven't got an expectation he'll be really, really good in September. But I've got because of the the success of Liverpool's transfer policy going back, you know, five six years now. I've got an expectation. You know, he's on a six year deal. And we'll get our money's worth over the course of that six years, and that's that's a massive part of the job. And for me, you know, they showed last year what they were capable of as a collective. We'll obviously massively miss Sadio Mane because I think he's one of the best footballers in the world. But and this is what I almost mean by it's not complacency, but it's it's being able to have a certain level of certainty. They just don't get that much wrong, and everyone's working ever so hard. And it'll even if it takes a bit of time, which I think it might do for the big centre forwards, it'll come. And it'll be all right. And that is that the, the, 
in lots of ways, the loss of jeopardy in a footballing point of view is actually something you've got to you've got to be a little bit careful about because you know every game should matter and every game will matter. And what what was one of the hard things about last season and about 19, 2019, 2020 when we won the league is there's a really weird sort of reaction to Liverpool winning the game. And again, this isn't an arrogant thing or anything like that. But if you're trying to break ninety points. You play 38 league games and you want to break 90 points, you need to be winning 28 games. And within that, you need to have the expectation. Uh, you need to have the expectation that you're, you're going to win those games. And what that turns into is a lot of games which don't quite become must win. But, well, they are must win. But what it means is that once you've won them, there's almost a little bit now to just tick that one off. So if you compare, we've come runners up to City twice. And we came runners up to City in 13-14 when Rodgers was manager. And then, like, 13-14 is the most fun I've ever had support in Liverpool because it was thoroughly unexpected and every win felt absolutely massive. And you get into a run-in and you just keep winning and it felt absolutely incredible. But that, see, that team came second with 84 points. We've had two teams that have come second to City. One got 97, I think I'm right in saying, and one got 92 and came second. And the difference between that and 84 in a really weird way is absolutely huge because you flip from you flip from being absolutely overjoyed by every win because you're not 100% you're going to get them to be or even 90% you're going to get them to be 95% you're going to win almost every single time you take to the pitch. But what that then means is that it's you know you can go you go away to Arsenal. Arsenal came fifth. You go away to Arsenal you expect to win and then you do and you win 2-0. And that that's that's what's changed, and that's what's changed. When I talk about the certainties, that's where City are. That's where we are. I don't. Think that's where anyone else is. You won the Champions League, and we'd had the bad year, and everyone was writing us off. And United had come second. I was like, we are. We're right in this against City, because no one else has shown the ability to do that thing that we've done. You know, win 13, 14, 15 games, win fourteen out of fifteen, do all that. That's something that's just really, really rare. But that's where we are, and. Only when we lose that, and to lose that, you've almost got to lose it over an extended period. Will there be jeopardy back? It will happen, and it will come, and it won't be nice when it does happen. But the flip side is, it will actually mean, in a really weird way, going to Southampton and winning 2-1 will be a bit more electrifying than even though it was the last week of the season, going to Southampton and winning 2-1 was this time out. Because you'd almost feel like, well, these are points you're going to throw away if you don't convert them. And that Without that's not miserable. It's just the reality of being a team that expect that knows it has to break ninety points to win the league. Mm, yeah, no, I hear that. I mean, as, far, as far as we're concerned, mate, as, as long as we we beat Fulham, right? When we go and play them, that that'll just make us happy. As far as we're concerned, like you know. But listen, let's talk about Brentford. I want you to talk about Brentford. Okay, for us, it's a season of three thirds. Us Brentford fans, we think that we did okay, and I think that's an understatement. We think we did very well. But I want to know, what is the view from the big boys about Brentford last season? I, well, I found Brentford really interesting to watch. The setup, um, the execution of that setup. Loved watching the home games whenever they were on telly. Uh, atmosphere being a massive part of that. But more like the commitments and the relationship between crowd and performance. Like the, It was a crowd that knew ultimately every point would be hard won. And every point mattered. And I think that that's, you know, it's a vital part of football, really, that feeling that every point's hard won and every point matters is is a really, really good thing. You know, one of my favourite games I watched, just casually caught on television last season, was the Friday night game against Wofford, uh, where you just won 2-1. And it was absolutely thrilling stuff. You know, the two late goals to turn it around. But it was that was as much about the symbiosis between crowd, team, manager... 
that was all in there. And seeing what Brentford do and little things that Brentford do that are clearly clever and that are clearly informed decisions and informed gambles and informed risks, I think they're a, they're a club to keep an eye on. There was a period of time where, you know, it's not a comparison a lot of people like, but I, I thought they were excellent. You know, there's a season in the Premier League where Burnley finished seventh and there was a lot to learn from that Burnley side and a lot of the decisions that they made, uh, some of which I do actually think has been was picked up on by Liverpool's staff. And it wouldn't surprise me if, for instance, all the big boys there, their analytics teams, were intrigued by what, what, what Brentford were doing around set pieces and in every single sense around set pieces. One of the things that I've, just for a bit of research for a separate project, sort of stumbled onto today is how few fouls Brentford's central defenders um, give away through the middle of the pitch in comparison to a lot of other teams. Uh, you know, the numbers don't lie. Uh, and, and, you know, someone like Pinnock, for instance, very, very rarely gets himself into a position where he's got to concede a free kick. The flip side is someone like Norgard gives a half-decent number of free kicks away, you know, a comparative number to someone else in his position. And it's almost as though part of the, the whole Brentford ethos was to, was to work out where positions are maximum and minimum opportunity were in a 21st century sense. So I think that there's lots to take from watching Brentford. But the main thing I would just take from it, as I say, is the idea of a Friday night game under the lights. Everyone's pulling in the same direction and everyone's looking for big goals and big moments. And then when they come, everyone's absolutely sort of celebrating every last minute out of them. And that's part of when we play Brentford, it's part of what sweeps the game away a little bit as far as I'm concerned, you know. It was an atmosphere-based thing. Everyone who went, I, did, I wasn't lucky enough to go to that one, but everyone who went came back and went, my God. It, it was almost a bit like, to be honest, you might have your view on the game, but you weren't in the ground. Uh, because in the ground, you can understand how our boys got pulled into a bit of an emotional back and forth there because they were absolutely kicking every ball. And, you know, it was a game to put to bed. It wasn't one to try to see out because um, the manager got a teeny bit of criticism because Liverpool make an attack and sub when it's 3-2. Um and the attitude of people who went the game was, no, 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 it was a game that had to go and be won because of the nature of the way this crowd is and this team is. So, no, I think there's there's a lot to admire from Brentford. And I, I, I do say that even when you're not listening, Billy. <laughs> of course. Uh, brown envelopes have got to stop now, Neil, you know what I'm saying? But just saying that, I mean, obviously a lot of positive stuff. But again, from you, experienced Premier League fan, watches a lot of games... What do we need to, to watch out for as a team? Because, listen, we know we've done lots of great things well, but we don't think that we're the finished product at all. When you know, what do we have to sort of kind of just be careful? I think that the thing, I think the thing to be careful of is literally now, not just as everyone's seen the tape, but everyone's also played just twice. So I, I think a bit, there's, a big, there's a big part of this, I think, and it's not as simple as you said before about second season syndrome. There's a thing where footballers now... They know the strengths and weaknesses of many of Brentford's footballers. So whilst he's obviously a really, really good player, no one's going to be surprised by Ivan Tony. And I think there's a thing with football players really good. Like all football players, actually, I'd say at any level in a, in a, in a strange way. Uh, but you can show someone a video and they'll go, yeah, yeah, it's all right, I've got that. Almost in any bits of our jobs at times we do that. But then lived experience is something a little bit different. And I think having the, we know what it is to go up against you know, a number of these players now, not just the obvious ones. We know, for instance, that Bueno's movement is exceptional. We're not going to be complacent about it. We're going we're gonna to have a plan for it. And when the gaffer's telling us the plan, we're actually going to listen to him a little bit more. We're not going to, so, you know, whatever the equivalent of a footballer's going, I know, I know, don't you worry. Who's Brian and Bueno anyway? 
that's that's gone now. I know exactly who he is. We're playing him. I know exactly who he is, and I know what we need to watch for. You know, Rico Henry's brilliant when he pushes right the way up, and he's got a burst of pace. Yeah, you're saying he's got a burst of pace, but has he really? Oh God, he has. Yeah. Okay, sounds. Next season when we face him, and then that's the big thing to watch. And I think that's why, you know, without sort of it, 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 it the fine line I think for all teams and squads in this in this environment is the idea of offering something that's a little bit new and a little bit different, but without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I think there's a fine line between the two. And I think that that's the in, in in the sort of the grandiose way that's what Brentford I think have got to sort of watch for next season is that there's now just a bit more lived experience of playing this Brentford team. So therefore, how does it just become a little bit trickier? What's the next thing that makes it a little bit different? What's the additional threat? Is it the idea of someone like Hickey? Is it the idea of you know of the lads that you got from uh, from Hull? Is it the idea of maybe a slightly different shape? Is it the idea that Tony uses his physicality not thirty yards from goal, but more sort of eighteen yards from goal? What is it that's just a little bit different that can that can help, that can continue to to, to pose new questions? Because as Burnley eventually find out, I haven't praised them a minute ago, as Burnley eventually find out, if you just keep doing the same thing eventually, then what happens is that everyone's got the book then, everyone's got the playbook, and everyone goes, no, 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 when they do this, we do this, when they do this, we do this. Yeah, this will be hard, yeah, it'll be a bit grim, but we just sort of knuckle down. That's what happened to Burnley in the end, and that's what Brentford have got to guard against. Mm, okay, so you're talking about Ivan Tony. If you were to sign one player from Brentford, other than Ivan Tony, because that's too obvious, everyone always goes for Ivan Tony, who would it be and why? I really like him, Bueno, and I th- I found him really impressive. Like I might even pick him over Tony. I think Tony's great. Don't get me wrong, but Bueno's only twenty two, um, and I think I think he turns twenty three soon. But he's only twenty two, and he he had unorthodox but continual presence in football matches. I think there's sometimes footballers who are unorthodox and they end up sort of being in football matches a lot less. Um, I thought with Mbueno, you know, the, there's obviously a question around end product. He should stick the ball in the back of the net more, given everything that he does. But firstly, that could just be nerves. That could just be falling into a rut. Genuinely wouldn't surprise me if he if he gets himself pretty close to, if not actually double figures this season, if he gets to the games. Um, I liked him. I liked him a lot. And I liked him a lot in terms of being a footballer as part of a unit. So you have, you know, in there, Tony, there's other players over the course of the season but Mbueno plays around and off them, I think, in a way that, that that's genuinely solid and impressive, to be honest with you. So he's one. I like the keeper. Um, I think the keeper's... David Rea. Yeah, I think the keeper's a project keeper. What I mean is he's one who, over a period of time, will will find his way through to becoming a certain type of footballer. He's one who I could see quite easily, again, going up at some sort of point into a, a top floor side because... Is 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 all round tending of the football. I I think is really really impressive. Um, I think he's nailed that. I think it's really interesting how good he is at claiming in certain areas. Even though he's not the biggest, I wonder if that's sort of a little bit of down to his history and all that sort of thing. But he does that well. Um, I think he's I think I think he's a good goalkeeper. Uh, in 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 I don't think he's necess- You know, he's not the best shot stopper in the league. I don't, but I don't think anyone thinks he is going to be that. I don't think that's the aim of him. I think he's meant to have other purposes for Brentford, and I think that the man the manager's absolutely all over that. I think he's a good player in there as well. I mentioned Norgard before. I think he showed himself to be a really interesting little nuisance. And another one I mentioned before as well, who I actually think took to it all like an absolute duck to water in terms of his own composure and calm as Pinnock. Uh, you know, he was not to be harried or hustled or he, he played, I thought, a really, whatever I call Brentford, 
just a really calm brand of football. Um, to be honest with you, he knows what his strengths and what his weaknesses are. So it's not I'm not acting here like he was he was pinging sixty yard passes like Van Dyke does or anything like that. More the idea that he he knew how, exactly how to think his way through games, uh, which I think is a, is 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 underrated um, in in you know in, in in modern football where a lot of things are just really really sort of. Heard him, scare him. Uh, he was not to be he was not to be uh, harried or hustled by absolutely anybody, and again, that's in the you know the number of fouls he gives away, which is so few. Um, you know, really, really few. Very few players I thought got past him uh, whenever he was, they were running at him. He's simultaneously great in the air. He's just giving away nothing cheap, and that is that's a massive, massive way home. So those three really are ones that I would mention as as footballers who you know I think. Can be part of, of Brentford doing what they need to do this season. Yeah, and our fear as well, Ethan Pinnock's out for at least a couple of months at the start of the season as well. And we've seen yeah. ourselves concede goals from corners, you know, on pre season tour in Germany. Well, you brought well. you brought me in, you brought me in. And I think, you know, again, the idea of a, a, more, as much about the personality type, you know, Ben Mee ends up being de facto manager at Burnley, if we're all honest, by the end of that season. You know, he's, he's club captain times 1,000. By the time he finishes, I think the personality type is as important as almost anything else here. You know, obviously, talent in the football is a big deal, but having a presence and, and what Pinnock I thought brought to Brentford was calm, and what me I think will bring when he steps in will be the same thing. It's just good, and, and that's I think we all know that as well. This is what we need, and I think this is probably going to be. And we're talking a lot about Liverpool here as well. We're not talking as much about Brentford, but we throw that in there. I think this is, could be one of the signings of the season for us because we always talk about us getting experience in the side, and Brentford don't like to do that because we always like to sign young players because they they create value down the line but I think these are the one of the players that you know may actually kind of actually bring value in bringing a little bit of um, uh, composure as you say yep. to the team like you know so listen just going back to last season what team were you disappointed with and why in the whole league I mean I'm, I'm ultimately you know there was a real opportunity to relegate Everton so you know we end up in a situation here where I've never been as angry with Manchester United as I was when they went to Goodison Park and got beat 1-0. Uh, I showed absolutely nothing, no threat. So that was a real shame for me. Chelsea went to Goodison and got beat as well. So, you know, that that, that, that was a level of frustration. In general, I off the, what we'd seen the season before, I expected a bit more from Leeds, but then I think that they have, they have really, really shocking injuries uh, over the course of the campaign. I think that the side who ultimately underperformed the most last season in terms of where they should be and where they ended up in a in a way is Leicester. And I still think that that's, you know, highly possible that that'll continue. I think I think that it's it's a club that seems to be on a on a little bit of slightly odd knife edge really where no one's kicked on enough. They themselves haven't kicked on enough and the 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 old line, you know, that a shark's got to keep moving forward or it dies. And what we have on our hands here is a dead shark. Is is very possible around Leicester this season if they don't start well. Everything's lined up for them to start well because they've got European football, uh, and they've still got the, the huge amount of strength and depth. But I think that Leicester are actually the team that underperformed most last season in comparison to where they should have been, having just won the FA Cup, uh, both at home and abroad. You know, European football should have been made for them as well, uh, and they, 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 I thought I think they underperformed quite significantly in the end, even though they have. Obviously, a really horror injury for Farner at the start of the season. They should have been able to cope with that, and they just weren't. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, Brentford's first game of the season away to Leicester as well. But I think what might actually kind of harm them even more is uh, obviously Rebecca Vardy. She lost her case now, so I don't know. How, <laughs> I don't know how Jamie's going to be feeling. Maybe he might be so down in the dumps he he he, he might just hang up the boots now and uh, decide to stay at home and, and console her after that, which may be quite handy for the bees. But anyway, but listen, um, tell you something. Next season, just tell me who's your top four teams? Do you think? Uh, I don't. Th- I think that it won't be different to this season. Uh, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, Tottenham. I think it'll finish. You know, the order might be jumbled a teeny little bit. I think Chelsea. Chelsea are look to be the most vulnerable of that. But I think Tottenham have got a few questions to answer about what it looks like um, when they've got to play midweek games in Europe uh, as well as trying to do the home front. So I think those two. You know, they'll be in amongst it with Arsenal and Manchester United. I think if United are smart, they almost just, if they, they have the attitude of we finish top four this season, it's a bonus. Uh, it's about sort of weeding out what's bad, uh, seeing out some of what's bad, and then working out who we can work with, and then looking to make the quantum leap forward next summer rather than this summer, I think, for United. And then I think when they do do that, they will make the quantum leap forward quite quickly as long as they don't get too carried away. The problem they've got is there's so many people who are paid money to talk about football on television who are desperate to tell you what's going wrong at Manchester United Football Club at every opportunity. It makes it difficult for them to take a breath and assess sometimes. But I think uh, I think it will be the same top four, just maybe a slightly different order. OK, so who's going to surprise... What team, you know, out of the whole league is going to surprise you? Who's going to? Well, I mean, if it, if it's me guessing, it's, it becomes less of a surprise. But um, I'm I'm of the view that I think I think it's a bit, so surprise. I feel like Crystal Palace could finish seventh, and I feel like Crystal Palace could finish seventeenth. I think the the bum not they didn't bumble along last season because they played a lot of good stuff, but the results didn't quite go where the good stuff suggested that it might. And I think you can only get away with that for so long in both directions. So I think either the the results begin to meet the good stuff and then, you know, it's a side that grows and it moves forward. Or what happens is that the belief in the good stuff begins to slowly but surely dissipate. And before you know where you are, you're you're on no wins in seven. And the Premier League suddenly looks like a really rather daunting place. So I think that Palace, a side that should just broadly end up finishing 11th, may well find themselves in a situation where they're either feeling at a point like they're earmarked for better things, which also could happen massively with the, the the sort of the early part of the season for a number of teams, or suddenly find themselves looking over the shoulder thinking, how has this happened? Everyone was praising us for our wonderful football last season, but none of it's working now. And the same thing I said before about Brentford could also apply, which is everyone's now seen the video, and everyone knows what it looks like, and everyone's got the data, and everyone's got a, a view of where the holes are. Right, so okay, so coming down Jesus. to it, then. So you're giving us your top four. Who's your bottom three? This is a really difficult one because it's heart versus head um, in a couple of ways. But like Everton put a preseason team out and it looked a mess. They got beat four 0 by Minnesota United. Um, um, I think, I think, I think they're in and around. But I just worry that they'll have a teeny little bit too much. I'm really stunned. Fulham haven't done more yet. In the market, I'd have expected more from Fulham at this point. I really don't want Fulham to end up sort of tangled in it um, solely for the reason. Well, I don't want anyone to end up tangled in it apart from one side. But um, um, I, I think Fulham feel like they're, they're, they're going to be there or thereabouts. I think Bournemouth are going to be there or thereabouts. I think Nottingham Forest have got a good manager and I think they've invested massively. And I think that that might just be enough to see them out because I think all the investments 
works into what it is that they're going to do. And then my mild sort of slightly left fieldish one that'll do your head in if they do indeed keep one of Fulham or from your position, Fulham, our position, Everton up. I think Wolves are a little bit more vulnerable than a lot of sides do. They finish the season really weakly. Wolves, and by finish the season, I mean from January. I don't mean like the last three or four games they were on the beach. I mean from January, they were really, really weak. And I feel as though maybe some of the, the, the wild forms of interest there is around Wolves in terms of overseas factors maybe has been less interested in the last 18 months or so. So I, I have a sneaking feeling that Wolves may get drawn in, Southampton may get drawn in, Everton may get drawn in. I don't think Leeds will get drawn in. I don't think Brentford will get drawn in. Um, but I think that those three plus two of the sides that came up in, in, in Fulham and in, uh, in Bournemouth will be there or thereabouts. Right, OK, so you've given us your top four and it was all jumbled up and you didn't really commit too heavily. But I'm going to get you to nail down where do you think Liverpool are going to finish the season? I think we're going to win the league. Okay. Um, last, when we finished second to City in 2018-19, they got 98, we got 97. Following season, we won 26 of our first 27 games. Um, just to put the matter to bed. Um, we finished last season, last 19 league games, whilst being in all the cup competitions, including the European ones, uh, all, to, all the way to the finals of all three. And um, we win, we, of our last 19 games in the league, we're played 19, won 16, drawn three. Um, I think we're the form proposition in the in the league. The only question is if, if Sadio Mane is an enormous miss for us, but the Manchester City side we're going up against doesn't have Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus or Sinchenko anymore either uh, who are all important squad players for it I, I'm i really confident um, to be honest with you I think the other thing that can help us is I do I do wonder if it will be Guardiola's last season and he needs Champions League to win and I think, I think they're remarkably sane I think both these managers are remarkably sane but I think they're remarkably sane and I think if we can start this season as we finish last, by the way, the three the three games we dropped points in in the second half of the season were away at che- were away at Chelsea, away at City, and at home to Tottenham. So we win we win every other game. And I think if we can start this season the way we finished last, then and there's some challenges there. Third game of the season, we go away at Old Trafford. It's going to be really tough. Um, you know, there's there's other bits and pieces in there that we need to you know th- that'll take a bit of traversing. But if we can start the season where we finish last and we find ourselves somewhere like six to eight points clear come the World Cup break, then I think that whilst no one will give anything up, I think suddenly if you're Manchester City and you're moving into the second half of the season and you've got a big, big year and a quite big league game, then I think they'll prioritise one way and not the other. Um, so I'm I'm of the view that we will finish the season this um I think last season I wasn't as confident going into last season. The other thing that changes uh, over the course of last season is Virgil van Dijk. He came back, he looked really good, but it was only by about January or February you actually realised that he wasn't the footballer in September that he had been previously because he was again that footballer by February or March and he started the season as that footballer having had the long, having got over finally that long injury. And I think that, for me, van Dijk is, by some distance, the best player in the world in his position. And he's only got one, one, or, more, one or two more years where that's the case. But the gulf between him at number one and everybody else at number two, I think, is is so marked, and it allows Liverpool to play a certain way. And I think that we'll see, hopefully, see the benefit of that over the course of this season. And I think that, yeah, I think we'll be champions. 
Okay, so and, and I have to say as well, because I've written the preview piece in the Observer for this week. I've written the Brentford preview piece, which is out in the Observer, so you can get it if you do guardian.co.uk, wherever it is as well. All the teams would have previewed their piece, and I actually put Liverpool down to win Marvelous. the league as well. Yeah, as you do, you know. And again, brand envelope. Thank you very much, Neil. Uh, very much. Going back and forth. But anyway, that's right. So listen, just quickly, we talked about Liverpool, where Brentford are going to finish. I think Brentford will finish somewhere between 12th and 15th. I think I don't think Brentford will be in trouble at any point really during the campaign. Um, I don't. There'll be a, there, there might be a moment of of looking over the shoulder, but I ultimately think Brentford have got a way of winning football matches, and I think that that helps massively. I think they've got a way home, and everyone knows the way home, and everyone's bought in. So I think that Brentford will there'll be five sides poorer than Brentford, and then twelfth to fifteenth is influenced by injuries. Um, both Brentford's and obviously the sides that are around them, the sides that they're facing. I think there is a minor question for a number of sides, certainly sides that haven't been in the Championship for a fair few years, as to how they look after themselves uh, in the pre-World Cup period when the games will be intense, both for obviously for European football, but even for non-European football. You know, there's there's going to be periods there where there's a lot of there's a lot of play midweek, which. I think a few sides in the division really haven't got the experience for it. I mean that almost as a coaching level or as a as a body management level as much as anything else. And I think that you know it does happen in the Premier League, but it doesn't happen that often. I think it happening a bit more often in the first period of the season could could actually end up working in Brentford's favour because they're the ones with the recent lived experience of Championship football. I think the other thing as well is I think Brentford off the pitch look to me like the fo- football club that plans meticulously. And it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of people saying this is a really hard season to plan for because the fact that it is really unorthodox. What I would say there is, if you've got good planners, if you've got good people who can plot a season out, who can pull, a, who can pull together a blueprint, then, yeah, it'll be a bit harder for them. But if they're good at it and they've been doing it and they, they know their club inside and out, then they'll be in a really good situation to actually work out what they're going to try to achieve. And I think that Brentford are absolutely going to fall into that category. I think the sides that have not got good experience of planning are the ones who will be flapping around trying to work out what on earth we do now. Whereas I think that the sides who have got lots and lots of experience of this and have, have you know have, have shown the capacity to think off the pitch will be the ones where because it's even more unorthodox on the pitch where you'll see the greatest benefits. And I think Brentford are one of those teams. That's right. It's nice to hear. Listen. So listen. Finally, Brentford and Liverpool. We're going to play you obviously twice next season. We actually don't play you till 2023 uh, because of the World Cup break. You know, yeah. so the first match January the second at home. You know, just after New Year's Day at home at our home that is, and then after on May the sixth, the bank holiday weekend. It's obviously it's down for a Saturday at the moment now, um, but it could be either Saturday, or Sunday, or a Monday, and that bank holiday weekend. I've actually I've actually looked. I've, I've booked about 17 hotels that weekend <laughs> over the cost of those those three days. And like I said to you, last time you actually were wicked, gave us a wicked pub crawl. Um, that's the second time before, and the last time we came up for the cup final, he, he gave us another place to go and watch it as well. So uh, you, you're, you're great at giving us drinking dens to, to, to go to. Neil, thank you very much for that. So like I said, you were looking forward to going to the drinking den, but I just want to know, do you think it's going to be more of the same because the game, particularly the one at Griffin Park, was, as they say, in, uh, on, on radio, it was a humdinger, wasn't it? It was a classic, and it was one of the, we were. My line in the end uh, by January, actually last year, was we were just being involved in too many classics. Um, in that, you know, the side that gets gets embroiled in classics, will, you know, they, they become classics because you're not winning them. Um, I think it. I think it'll be similar because I think that those that first flush of games back after the World Cup, especially around the Christmas period, will be all about. 
uh, huge atmospheres, unbelievable appetite. You know, there's no way that game on January the second kicks off in the hours of daylight. Absolutely no way. Uh, that isn't under the lights of Brentford. I'd be amazed if if it isn't under the lights of Brentford. People have done the job badly because it should be, and it should be a massive occasion. This, you know, I'll go into it still thinking the two games against Brentford, Liverpool, be getting six points. Of course, that'd be mad if I didn't. Even though you know we we, we found out what exactly what Brentford were capable of last season in the game, but the thing I would say is one of the things I felt about last season, even when I was frustrated with the classics, was it was just great to be back in them. We, we all said we'd never take it for granted again, and then by about October, loads of people were taking it for granted. So that's still that's still the situation for me. You know, I'm still desperately trying not to take it for granted again because because we did lose it there for an extended period, and it was horrible. Um, and even when your team was doing well, it was horrible, and when your team wasn't doing well, it was even worse. So I want it to be a night game. Bring us your best. 7.45... Nine o'clock, get on the ale all day, don't mess about. <laughs> Let's have it be absolutely enormous because that's what we're all in it for and we've got to not be you know, not be what's the right way to sort of frame it? We've got to we've got to want that, I think. Um and I think that's what this manager and this Liverpool team are really, really good at, to be honest with you, is that they, they, they enjoy the occasion and they enjoy the way in which it's gonna go. So for me, yeah, let's you know, let's 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 put a, a red circle around the second of January now. And really look forward to it, and have it be the best version of Brentford versus Liverpool it can be. I'll still think Liverpool will win, but they might not do. And if that's the way it goes, that's the way it goes because we're all used to not watching our teams win. We've got to be. If not, we're going to drive ourselves mad. That's right. And I'd say the same for Bank Holiday weekend. I'll put a massive, great big circle around <laughs> that whole weekend as well, mate. Looking forward to it. So there'll be a festival on on that one, by the way. So there'll be something going on. You might you, you might need the, the, the seventeen hotels. Oh really? The weird festival. Oh, okay. I might book a few more actually. <laughs> I was like touting them, like you know. So anyway, listen, Neil. It's been absolutely fabulous talking to you. Like I said to you, the one thing about Neil and the Anfield rap and the Liverpool fans, if you go up there, man, they've got so much respect. They just love football. They love football like they do. You know, we might be a small team from uh, West London. You know, a bus stop in Hounslow, as they call it, but. They don't care. They still talk to us as football fans and they have a lot of respect for us. And I've got a lot of respect for them as well. We have a great fun going up there as well. So anyway, so this is all good. By the time, I, I, listen, I don't know what you're up to for the weekend after the, the, the Charity Shield. I hope you have a very, very good Charity Shield, the Community Shield, whatever it's called. I hope you have a really good weekend. I'm actually here in Spain and I've got a bit of an away day actually because I'm actually going to fly back tomorrow. Don't say to anyone, I'm going to fly back to London to go to the, uh, the Euros final actually. A day trip. Just flying back from uh, Alicante down to London, go to the Euros final, then flying back again. So by the time you listen to this, hopefully I would have actually flown to London and I'm back again by the pool in Spain. And hopefully England will be having their first trophy in Christ knows how many years. Like, you know, I don't even know, 58, 60 or years, whatever it is. So it's all good. But listen, Neil, great chatting to you. And I'm going to chat to you again, no doubt, very many times in the season. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.